As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Virgin Disruptors podcast. I'm Holly Ransom, your host in this series that's all about making a change and causing a positive disruption in the world of business and beyond. This week, we're focusing on getting the best out of yourself and your team, as an expert in R&D explains how you can take self-development into your own hands. Disruption backfires all the time. Like, if you don't accept and understand that, then you're really not taking any risks, right? You're not actually pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Our featured talk today comes from Dom Price, a senior member of one of the world's most successful software companies, where Dom's been instrumental in fostering growth, enabling innovation, and supporting the startup ecosystem. As you'll hear from his talk on stage, Dom has an absolutely infectious energy and his approach to leadership, growing and scaling are second to none. I love Dom for the fact that he's so pragmatic. He's going to rarely give you a toolkit and some practical steps that you can take and implement in whatever it is that you're going about tackling. The other thing I love about Dom is he's absolutely no BS. And I think you'll find the way he goes about conveying his ideas really, really engaging. So let's join him on stage. I can't wait to get into this one. Dom Price, speaking live at the Virgin Disruptors event in London. Thank you, Holly. Um, put your hand up if you're a leader. Hopefully everyone in the room. Awesome. So a fundamental mistake a lot of us make as leaders, and this is a mistake I've made before, is leadership becomes this very lonely journey, a journey for the individual. So what I want to share with you today, and, and I actually want to give you something, I want to give you some practical tips, some things that you can practice. And the reason being is that I've been on leadership courses before where I went as an individual. And I arrived back in the office, and I was probably a real pain in the arse. <laughs> I went back and went, I saw Sir Richard Branson. We talked about disruption. It's so cool. Let's be disruptive, everyone. And <laughs> I, I may have done that before. And then, and then what happens is your entire audience sits there and goes, what are you talking about? I wasn't there. You've not brought anything for me. You've not walked in my shoes. I'm part of a team that works with you, and yet you're not thinking about me. So what I want to give you today is something that I want you to use, and I want you to try when you're back in the office. It might not be tomorrow, but I'm going to hold you to a promise at the end of this talk that you will try something different before the end of the week. Are you good for that? Yeah. Awesome. You're a very polite audience. <laughs> so 130 billion US dollars. It's a Deloitte report from 2015. That's the estimated spend by organizations on sending their individuals on leadership training. I have spent some of that money, and I still spend some of that money today. There is definitely room for me as an individual getting better at what I do, but I don't believe it's the sole answer. So here's the, the honest truth. You're doing it wrong. 
But it's okay, that's why you all signed up to come here today, isn't it? You want to learn something different. You're not just here to put a tick in the box and say you've completed something. You're here to challenge yourselves. So why are you doing it wrong? You're doing it wrong because you're not understanding the challenges that you are going through. I'm going to talk personally about my challenges, and I'm hoping that you can empathize with some of these. Try not to sympathize. You don't have to, ooh, ah, right? Just empathize. So scaling. I'm in a business that is growing an awful lot. I am trying to grow as an individual. My team around me are trying to grow. Our customer base is growing. Everything's changing. The technology refresh cycle around me is getting faster and faster. And so we've got this challenge of scaling. I never want to be famous for being big. I never want to be able to stand on stage and say, I work for a company with so many thousand employees. That's not a stat that defines success for me. Success is the impact that you have. So to have impact, you need to be able to scale. In my business, if I do the same thing today that I did last week, I will not be successful. So that creates this environment of chaos and vulnerability when actually what you're kind of grasping after is consistency and standardization. But that won't give you scale. Doing what you did yesterday and just trying to do more of it won't help you get better at it. The next challenge is the multiplier effect. This is where a lot of leaders commit that cardinal sin. To be a good leader is about me being a good person. And if I just work harder, if I stay a bit late on Friday and I'll do a few hours at the weekend and I'll send some emails when I'm on the train or on the bus and I'm going to go on holiday, but I'm secretly going to work to get ahead. Um, oh, you've done that, haven't you? There's a few. Oh, we've got the bad people in today. And so the, the multiplier effect is saying you need to forget about yourself for a minute because the power you have, the power if you can harness that power, is how you influence others. Influence is a really hard game because it's a long game. It's around understanding the people you're working with and trying to enable them to be better at their work. So actually, as a leader, you grow and you get in this position and you go, I must know all the answers. I'm a leader now. I have head of in my title and I have a desk and I might even have an office. So everyone's going to come to me for the answer. And the most important thing is that I'm right. And if they're wrong, that's a lesson for them to learn, right? And it's the mistake we all make as leaders, right? It's easy to do because you're in this elevated position and you forget that your role is actually to empower the people around you, to get the best out of them. And instead of doing that, you think about yourself. I have committed that sin in the past. And the last one is time. Um, who here, put your hand up if you're really busy. <laughs> busy is such a bad word, right? Wouldn't you rather put your hand up and go, I'm effective? But we, we don't measure effectiveness a lot of the time. We, we talk about being busy, we get this notion that you know, if my head down and my bum's up and I've got a full inbox, and you know, I, I remember a day in a previous organization where I'd wake up and the very first thing I'd do is turn on my laptop and however many emails I had, I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, like a thousand emails overnight, pretty cool, yeah. I must be important. And, and you get carried away with this. So time is this precious resource that we have, but it's becoming more precious. Because what you just heard about from seven people before is these amazing, innovative ideas that they are not looking at the barriers. They're looking at the opportunities and the possibilities. And so you're in this time-poor environment where if you don't make the change, if you don't try and do something different, someone else will. It's going to happen anyway. So you can read as many books as you want that tell you about shortening your working week. But if you don't take active control of that, if you don't take the action, nothing's going to happen. So what I want to tell you about now is what we did. This is a personal story about something that we've tried that I believe will work for everyone in the room to some extent. So a little bit of the story. If you think about typical systems and organizations, they are really well geared towards individuals. We hire individuals, we do pay reviews, we do development plans and career planning, we fire individuals. 
All right, we have conversations about the career progression of individuals. Got a bit of news for you. Neil Armstrong didn't land on the moon. NASA did. LeBron James didn't win the NBA championships. The Cleveland Cavaliers did. Jamie Vardy didn't win the Premier League. Leicester City did. <laughs> One Leicester fan in every... I was going to say Wayne Rooney didn't lose, the, but that's a bad, bad connotation. Um, and so when you think about all the best human achievements in the world, whilst we like to idolise the individual, it's a team. It's the team of people behind them that made them successful. Some of them are front and centre and some of them are behind the scenes, but it's a team effort. And yet we've organised and structured all of our systems in work towards individuals. So we decided that it might be a great thing to do to start to look at the team. And we came across this really fascinating finding. When we do individual performance reviews, we looked at those people in teams. And it turned out that the individuals could still be in teams that didn't do a great job. And that kind of threw us a bit, because we thought if we just collected more smart individuals and just shepherded them into the right place, magical things will happen, and, and they will. But when you've got those constraints of scaling and being a multiplier in time, the teamwork was becoming sometimes ineffective or inefficient. Now, at Atlassian, we knew that we were facing complex problems every day. Okay, we're a 14-year-old company. We've dealt with some of the easy stuff. And so every day, there's new competitors, there's new customers, there's a new technology, there's a new change that wants to completely disrupt our business. So we've got an option. We either disrupt from within or we wait to be disrupted. So we decided to disrupt from within and start to look at this concept of team and how can you understand what a healthy team looks like. Now, this is a little bit controversial for some people because we are an organization that builds tools. We build technology. And a lot of the chat today has been around technology and technology disruption. You know, every time someone comes up with a new idea, if it's not an app, no one tends to listen. But if you think about the reality of when you've been in a, in a great team, it's this combination. Great teams are made up of the right tools. You have to have that tooling. If you look at the globalization of teams and how distributed people are, having that connectivity, whether it be a mobile device or a laptop or a video conference, to have that conversation, that's amazing. So you need that. But that's not enough. You need the right people. Now, I can't help you with that. Part of your role as a custodian in your organization is to make sure you are hiring smart people that meet the values of your organization, that create that vibrant culture, that live your values around innovation and continual improvement. That's your role. But the mistake we make as we scale is this idea of practices. Now, I have a, a, a gut reaction, this kind of knee-jerk twist and twitch every time someone uses the word process. It makes me a little bit angry. And the reason it makes me angry is we're all here today because we feel like creative people. We want to change. We want to disrupt. We want to work in businesses that scale and grow and are successful. And so as we become a leader, we commit that cardinal sin. We decide the only way to guarantee success is command and control. So I'm going to hire these smart people. They're all going to come under my regime. And whilst I've hired smart people, I'm a little bit concerned they'll make some bad decisions. So I'm going to implement a 10-step process for everything they need to do. Process is good. And I'm going to standardize. Like, I, I get this idea of creativity, but it sounds a bit messy. We've got customers to satisfy. So why don't we build a hierarchy and a structure, and that way they'll do as they're told, repeatable results every time, shareholders happy, everyone wins. Yep? No. Because that's not the reality we're living in. Like, there was a guy before talking about all these different realities, and yet there's this leadership reality we're all living in. One where we think we have to have the answer, and we must dictate to our teams on how they should work. I know the process. The problem is, it doesn't take account of the environment you're in. 
It's the environment you are living and working in that should influence the way you work. So I'm a firm believer in practice and not process. So what we did was we created something that we call the team playbook. And this was two composite parts. It was around saying, how can we equip our people globally so that they can do the best work of their lives? Meaningful and great work. So something came out, which is, imagine you've got 100 ions of mental fuel in your head. Way too much of those ions were being spent in working out how we work together. And yet I've hired these smart people to solve really complex problems, and they weren't using their mental fuel on those problems. They were going home every night exhausted from the interactions they were having with the people they were working with, and not from the actual work they were doing. And that's not great for me. So we wanted actionable guidance, but it's guidance rather than process. It's saying, understand your environment and what you're working on, and it might not be repeatable. There may be elements that are repeatable, but it's not 100% the same every time. And the other thing we realized was that whilst empathy is like the buzzword after disruption and innovation right now, what most people do when they want to learn about empathy is they go through an airport, they buy a book, and they read it, and they go, I understand empathy. I've read about it. it it's akin to saying, I'm rubbish at presenting, so I'm going to read a book, now I'm good at presenting. Right? There is no practice in that. Empathy is a really hard skill. Some people confuse it with sympathy. But we wanted to get some empathy in there so that our teams, not our individuals, but our teams, could understand how they're working. So let's crack into it. Simple principle. This is not about 100%. If you're in a business and you are trying to engineer something to 100%, you are never going to get it right. And here's why. The panel this morning, when they were talking about purpose, around this idea of, you know, uh, I think it was uh, the blockchain guy, if your code doesn't embarrass you a little bit, you sat on it for too long. It's around getting ideas out there early, because it's the wisdom of the crowd that will tell you whether it works or not. It's the wisdom of the crowd that will collaborate and give you feedback and tell you whether that's great or average. And the more you listen and learn to that, the better you can be. If you believe you've got the answer to 100%, there's one thing you're not doing that's really important. You're not listening to anyone around you. You're doing it for yourself. And in a team, and as a leader, you need to be doing it for the team around you. The concept of playbook came in because I'm not in an environment where I can enforce process. I'm in an environment where I want to empower people. I want them to be autonomous. I want to hold them accountable and responsible for the things they own. And I can't do that by publishing a 10-point bullet list of the things that must do. Because the problem is, they'll do it regardless. And they'll use it against me. They'll come up to me and go, yeah, it failed, but I followed the process. So, uh, you know, I win. You know, back in the day, I went to a project management conference, and, and the number of people talking about, oh, it's the, yeah, the balance of quality and scope and time, and you've got the, the triangle and all that, but what about the customer? Like, how are you trying to understand the environment you're in? And the last thing we did was to try and build some self-awareness, we created a tool which is a simple conversation piece. It's not a technology. It's around saying, how as a leader can you be vulnerable and listen? Which we all know is the right thing to do, but really hard because we're really busy, we're time poor, we're in a rush, we've got customers, we've got demands, we've got family, and so I've got the answer, let's just do that and jog on. It's hard for us to listen. So here's what it looks like. It is not a piece of technology. It's an exercise we go through with our teams. So imagine this with the fitness analogy. Imagine taking your team for their annual fitness, and you're doing all the tests. You've got a fitness instructor, and they put you through all these, um, all these exercises, and you come out the end, and you've got this wonderful report. And that's what this is. It's a conversation that our teams have with each other. 
It's around understanding the different perspectives. It's around embracing that diversity and inclusion. How can you understand the people around you? What are their hopes? What are their fears? What are their challenges? What are they struggling with? Because it's likely them that are going to deliver the work and not you by yourself. It's not about hierarchy and the boss and the subordinate. It's about the collective of the team. And what we do with our teams is we say, have these conversations. We've identified eight areas that we believe make a healthy team. And we've given these to our teams. And they literally stand around and they go, right, first area, balanced team, how are we? And they do thumb up, thumb down before they even speak. And they do that because I want to hear from the introverts. I want to hear all the different people that are seeing life through a different lens. I don't want to hear the obvious or the loud or the celebrity. I want to hear the divergence because that helps me understand the environment they're working in. And so this isn't a game in convergence in saying, how do we get everyone to green? How do we get everyone to agree? That's not diversity. That's you agreeing to compromise. Where actually as a team, you should embrace the fact that you're different. It's going to be uncomfortable. You are probably going to be working with people that don't think like you, and that feels painful. If you're busy, the natural human reaction is, I'll just work with people that think the same way as me. It's a lot quicker. But who are you taking care of there? Yourself or your customer? Probably yourself. So we'll land on these eight attributes. The team's doing exercise. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And then what we try and do is a really hard thing in my world because we love solving things and we love perfection. So we try and fix everything. Oh, I'm red on a few areas and that's terrible. We have to fix everything. And this is around focus. How can you understand the cause and not the effect? And you need to understand the cause because that's the thing you need to go and fix. So for example, what we were finding with a whole lot of our teams were struggling with velocity. And what was their solution? We need to hire more people. We hire more people, we'll go faster. And we tried that, and we didn't. Because the root cause of velocity being slow wasn't the number of people. It was the fact that they didn't have a shared understanding of why they were doing what they were doing, and they're all going off at very different tangents. That was slowing them down. It was causing rework. It was causing friction. People weren't collaborating as we intended them to. You're listening to the Virgin Disruptors podcast, featuring R&D expert and work futurist Dom Price from technology giant Atlassian. I love the way in this talk, Dom's really challenging us to rephrase the way that we think. Swapping being busy and talking about and claiming that as a badge of honour for being effective and caring about the output and the outcomes we're realising. We've more from Dom coming up in a second. But remember, if you want to discover more about Virgin Disruptors, you can simply head to virgin.com where you'll also find loads of tips and advice on the subjects of business and entrepreneurship, 
and plenty of podcasts too. So now, before we return to the stage at Virgin Disruptors, let's grab a quick chat with Dom backstage on what the word disruption means to him. Ooh, definition of a disruptor. Someone who is curious enough to try something. Someone who's not paralysed by the idea of it being successful, but willing to try it, experiment, and then listen and learn. So if it works well, to do it more. And if it doesn't, try and work out what to do differently next time. But it's that curiosity for me. One of the barriers to disruption is the fear of failure, uh, the fear of recourse, the fear of getting it wrong. And the, and the more senior you get, or the more experience you get, you feel you have to be right. And, and when you're trying to take on disruption, you have to accept that a lot of what you're going to do isn't going to work. Disruption backfires all the time. Like if you don't accept and understand that, then you're really not taking any risks, right? You're not actually pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. I think the disruption that I try and do on a daily basis is understanding the way I used to work and how my environment's changing so I can work differently in the future. That involves a crystal ball. That crystal ball is not very reliable. So there's lots of things I try that don't work for me. Um, you have to be humble and, and, and have to have some humility to understand that. And you have to surround yourself with people who are confident enough to share that news with you. Otherwise, they'll just agree with you all the time. And that's when really bad things happen. Dom Price, backstage at the recent Virgin Disruptors event in London. Let's return now to the auditorium for the second part of his talk. I can admit that I've worked in teams where I've not known the strengths or weaknesses or skills of my peers because I felt I didn't need to. I could get my job done quicker by just doing my job. Now, you can do that for a short period of time, but if you're not cohesive as a team, you're not getting the value of that greater unit. The other thing that we found is as we scaled, decision-making became a real pivot for us. Decision-making when you're trying to run a flat, autonomous structure, you're trying to put the decision-making at the coalface. You want to empower people. You want them to feel that they can make those decisions. But they were so scared of the consequences of making those decisions, they were waiting until the very last minute, and the decision was making it for them. They weren't actively making the decision. Or worse, everyone thought they were making the decision. What should we do? Left, right, up, down. Yeah, vote. OK, I thought it was you. Is it not you? Is it me? Is it not? Oh, it's you. OK, it's you. In that case, we'll go up. And so it's causing a lot of thrashing. Just identifying that alone helped our teams lift. It helped them understand. The problem is, it's a little bit of a downer. Not just that, but it's all theoretical. And I hate theory. I hate coming to conferences where a six foot four northern English guy who recently emigrated to Australia tells you stories about how successful things are, and you all leave going, that's cool, but what do I do? So instead of thinking about it, there was a slide up before around practicing and taking part. So what we're going to do, I'm sorry to make you do this, but we're going to do an exercise. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So there are three health monitors that we've produced. One for project teams, one for leadership teams, and one for service teams. Project teams are the bread and butter, the transactional team, mixture of subject matter experts, come together, work on a common purpose, goal, ship it, and move on. Leadership teams are tricky. Now, I'm assuming you all know this because you're all leaders who are very empathetic and self-aware, but the problem with being a leader is it's really hard to do because you're time poor. You're time poor executing stuff, and then you join this leadership team, it's probably the 20% of your time. It's the least amount of time you spend, you're context switching between a project with clear goals and this amorphous leadership team of different people. And, and is it just... It's team building, right? You go and, and you, you do paintballing and then you find as a team, but it's not. It's around understanding each other. And the service team is a relatively new concept that we've landed on around, there's a whole lot of teams in organizations whose role it is to serve the people around them. They don't necessarily have a roadmap of activities. 
A lot of the time, they're incumbents of other people's requests. They have service level agreements. They have contracts with the customer. The typical example here is a customer support team. So what we only want to do right now is a leadership health monitor. So what I'm going to challenge you to do is you need to sit with someone who you do not work with, because this has to be a vulnerable conversation. I'm going to give you a very quick run through of what these areas are, and then we're going to do an exercise. So balanced team, right people, are they accountable? Is the team the right size to be effective? Think about that one. The anti-pattern here is everyone gets on. I mean, we all get on. We've not got a diverse team, but we all get on. That's the anti-pattern. Team cohesion. This is about proactive. Am I, am I proactively sharing with the people around me what my skills are so they know when to engage me and I know when to engage them? And is there trust? The word trust gets thrown around an awful lot. But just think about a leadership team that you're in. Do you implicitly trust the people you're working with? Shared understanding. This is not what you're doing, but why you're doing it. It's the number one mistake a lot of teams make. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Uh, my job is to turn the widgets on in the morning and I turn them off at night. Do you know why? No. If you don't know why, it's really hard to understand where your boundaries are, what your errors look like. And this is around your confidence. Because the confidence that you set as a multiplier is to many, many people. So if you're not confident as a leader, the people around you are going to pick up on that. Value and metrics, really simple one. Value, should we be doing this, yes or no? It's a binary question. Metrics, how do we know when we get there? So value in my organization is the permission to start. Metrics are your permission to finish. You do not need metrics to start something. You just need data-informed, gut instinct decisions. It's the right thing to do. Let's try it. The metrics are your permission to finish. Decision-making. Do we know who's making them? Is it over the right time horizon? Have we got the right mix of long-term decision-making and short-term tactical decision-making? Do we actively discuss the trade-offs? What you find here is, the, the anti-pattern here is, I don't know who's making the decisions, but they get made by someone. We revisit them all the time, and eventually, Bob's going to make the decision. So you play the game of thinking you're making the decision, then Bob comes in and goes, no, we're not doing that. We're going blue. Everyone knows it's blue. Next. One pager. So this is a great one. This is when you're in a larger organization, and you deal with people at the water cooler in the lift well, uh, when you're making coffee, and they say, oh, what, what is it you're doing? And you're like, oh, I work on this team, and this is what we do. Or you get the instant message, or you get the email. It's where everyone is having to come to you to find out what you do and why. It feels good because it's instant gratification. It's bad because there's a whole lot of people that haven't come to you that probably need to know what you're doing and why. So this is a way of saying, how can we create a, a kind of band poster for each project or each leadership team? This is the thing we're famous for. This is what we do. This is how you engage with us. The rules for the road. Uh, manage dependencies. There's a whole lot of stuff in here that's common sense around how you execute. My favorite line in this is the final line. And this is where some of you will go, oh. You are viewed as easy to do business with from your key stakeholders. Again, a sin a lot of leadership teams compete with is, is they optimize for their world. I'm a leader. I've grown up the, up the chain of command. I've got this position, and I need to optimize my world. But you do it at the detriment of the people around you. You're not thinking about the greater system. And velocity. Are you famed for getting shit done? Are you famed for executing? So what I want you to do is, with your partner, pick one area and discuss an area with, with one of your leadership teams where you're struggling. Judging by the volume in the room, <laughs> we're all members of great leadership teams. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge by the volume and the vibrancy in some of the faces in the room that you enjoyed that exercise. And hopefully it was a little bit uncomfortable. One of the things that I, I wanted to do that for is, 
it's really hard for us to let down the veil of I'm a leader and I'm great and have those conversations with someone. And every time I do that, when I let that veil down and have the conversation, the thing I learn from the other person is they're suffering with similar things and it's not that hard to solve. And so sharing those ideas, sharing those conversations and listening sounds kind of obvious. Just check, check yourself how often you actually do that because it's a very valuable tool. So I wanted to try and get some feedback. Now, there's 600 of you in the room. We could do a roaming mic, chat all night, get drinks. That's not going to work. So I'm going to pick on people because I love picking on people. I'm going to pick on Holly and Chuck. Sorry. You're already mic'd up and I didn't tell you, so this is going to be fun. Okay. Holly, can you talk to us about which area you picked and a personal experience for you of, of where you struggled in that area? Yeah, so I had a really good conversation with Jonathan. We actually both had the same area we identified, um, which was velocity. So we were talking about the fact that both of us are going through stages in our work where we're great at getting the ideation phase happening. We're great at having the conversations, where, which is a, a good thing in itself, creating the space to throw ideas around and to permit new thinking. But, and probably pretty good at those early steps uh, of the initial, okay, how do we start putting this into play? But the first time we're hitting roadblocks, we probably still haven't, got the capability within our teams to really ramp up velocity in the way that we'd like. What, what do you normally try? What are your normal tips or tricks to actually improve your velocity? Uh, I think the big thing we're working on at the moment is to begin with stress testing our ideas a little bit up front so we can try and foresee some of the roadblocks we're going to hit and help overcome initially in our thinking how we'll go about doing it as opposed to feeling that kind of whack to your system the moment that you get surprised by something later down the line. I think the other thing is then continually trying to bring them back to the team conversation and sharing, okay, where are we at? What's going on? Bringing in uh, outside sources if we can as well to say, hey, this is where we're at. Can you give us some ideas on how to work through it? So just trying to bring it back to the table as opposed to let it disappear into the yep. background. Awesome. Cool. Chuck? Interesting in ours, we went through and talked about the, the, the connection a bit between our biggest fears and where we were facing the challenges. <laughs> so my biggest fear is um, that it's not going to become sustainable, that I'm always going to be needed. There's going to be someone like me that has to do something. And so team cohesiveness, I've, I've inherited a new team, and I'm trying to bring them together, and they're brilliant in what they do. I absolutely have the, the balance team, but it's about um, creating that sense of teaming and them functioning and counting on the interdependencies between each other. Letting loose, and how do you change, hand the reins over to someone else when potentially they may be better at the job than you are. Yeah. And, and how do you let loose, and correct me if I go astray, to know it's gonna get done? As a leader, that can be terrifying. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much to uh, Chuck and Holly. So I, I promised you some action, and I wasn't lying. So what we've done in work is we've looked at this. We've run over 400 project health monitors with teams, around 40, 50 leadership team health monitors. The service team one, uh, we literally launched that internally about two, three weeks ago. It's like 15 of them. They're working really well. The problem is it takes you on a bit of a downer. So what we've done is as we've listened and learned from our teams, we've codified some of the ways they work to improve that, that upward spiral. And what we've done is we've documented those in the form of plays. They are not processes, they are not religious, that must follow type documents. They are guardrails that enable those teams to self-improve, to drive their own continual improvement. And we've actually launched that internally, and so what our teams do is they self-serve. They run a health monitor as a team, they identify areas where they struggle, and then they use the plays to get themselves better. It's the exercise, the drills, the techniques for them to improve. It'd be really cool for me to brag about this, sounds kind of cool, um, I'd get lots of plaudits, but that's not what I'm here to do. At Atlassian, our mission is to unleash the potential in every team. And I want to unleash all your potential today and in the future with your teams. 
All right, we talk about being a multiplier. This is my personal chance to be a multiplier. So we've open sourced and we've launched our entire playbook. We want to share this because we're seeing a bit of a trend in, in teams getting smaller and more nimble and organizations being more competitive. And we want you to do the best work of your lives in your teams. We want you to be the leader that actively engages in that rich conversation with the people around you. And instead of talking, you listen. So my challenge to you this week, run a health monitor with one of your teams, have a look at some of the plays, have a play with it, try it with your teams, and just listen and be vulnerable. Thank you very much. Huge thank you to Dom Price, R&D expert and work futurist from tech giant Atlassian. If you enjoyed his talk, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Just use the hashtag Virgin Disruptors on Twitter and let us know how you're going to put Dom's advice into practice. I encourage you to check out the tools that Atlassian have put online as well. One of the things I love about how Dom and the company work is that they're so prepared to open source their resources and put things online so everyone can benefit from the insights and the great advances they're making in the systems and processes they use to get their results. Just time to mention that next time on the Virgin Disruptors podcast, we'll be hearing from Google's Head of Diversity and Inclusion, Chuck Stevens. A little sneak peek coming up at the end of this show. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Holly Ransom, and all of the Virgin Disruptors team. Until next time, see ya. For those of you that have something to write with, I want to do a simple exercise. I'd like you to write your name. Now, when I do this, it feels very natural. It's something we've potentially done thousands, if not millions of times. It's an identifier for who we are. But I want you to switch hands now. And so use your non-dominant hand to write your name. I don't know about you, but when I do that, I almost get physically ill. <laughs> You know, I am somewhat of a type A personality, I like to achieve, and it doesn't look how I'm expecting it to look. Does anybody else feel that kind of angst appear when you try and do this? Okay. Unfortunately, that angst is a wonderful metaphor for the experience of people you work with and their reality in being in your leadership team or being on your teams or being within your organization because the rules and the norms we do to en enable them aren't necessarily aligned with how they're used to operating. I've had leaders go through and tell me, I don't know what it is you want from me, I treat everyone the same. I would propose, though, that what is fair is not always equal. How do we balance that and equate that? Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 